You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. When I struggle with God's existence, I trace back the chain of causation, looking for a first cause. Everything in the universe needs a cause. But does the universe as a whole need a cause? This, simply, is the cosmological argument. The Greek word cosmos means order or universe. Which philosophers from Aristotle to Aquinas have used to argue for God because of this assumed need of a first cause, or of an uncaused cause, or of an unmoved mover. At one time, I was almost persuaded. But the first cause argument for God has been attacked vehemently and rejected utterly. I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth is my journey to find out why. William Lane Craig is a Christian philosopher known for debating atheists. Every time he defends God's existence, he trumpets the argument from first cause, the cosmological argument. The cosmological argument is actually a family of arguments, different arguments, that all attempt to prove on the basis of the existence of the world that there is some sort of a first cause or sufficient reason for the existence of the world. For example, there's the so-called argument from contingency. Uh, that has been defended by various philosophers such as uh, Leibniz and others. And it would go something like this. Anything that exists has uh, a reason or an explanation of its existence, either in the necessity of its own nature or in some external cause. Now, if the universe has an explanation of its existence, that explanation would be God a transcendent being beyond space and time. The universe is something that exists, obviously, and therefore it would follow that the universe has an explanation of its existence and that that explanation is God. Uh, another version would be uh, the argument for a first temporal cause of the universe, and it would go like this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. And this is rooted in the metaphysical idea that being cannot come from non-being. Out of nothing, nothing comes. So if something comes into being, there must be a cause which brought it into being. What this argument will get you to is an uncaused, eternal first cause that never came into being. The key premise here will be to demonstrate that the universe began to exist because if the universe began to exist, then it follows logically that the universe has a cause. 
and with the cosmological argument has some of the cosmological data mm. from the world of science, the Hubble telescope, uh, been helpful or contradictory? Oh, it's been very helpful. I, uh, you see, during the Middle Ages, when there was no scientific evidence, for example, for a beginning of the universe, uh, philosophers presented purely philosophical arguments against the infinity of the past or an infinite regress of causes. But with the advent of modern astrophysical cosmology, it turns out that there is very good empirical evidence for the truth of the premise that the universe is not a necessarily existing being, but is contingent in a radical way, namely that it began to exist. So we have both philosophical arguments and scientific confirmation of the key premise of the cosmological argument. I don't think that any historian who is a purely natural Bill gives two versions of the cosmological argument. One, anything that exists must have a reason for its existence. Two, anything that begins to exist must have a cause. Bill's confident this gets to God. I was once confident. I should hear the other side. I call upon Quentin Smith, a prolific atheistic philosopher who has debated Bill Craig. I need to know why he believes, why he's sure, that the first cause argument for God does not work. Quentin, I would like to believe in God if I do one of the main series of arguments that have been used, even currently, are the so-called cosmological argument. Is there any worth in these kinds of arguments? Uh, I don't think so. Take the cosmological argument first. That says, because there is a series of causes and effects in the world, there is, must be a first cause. That first cause they call God. But then cause means something entirely different when it refers to God than it does when applied to causes and effects in the world. Because if you want to claim that God causes the world, God is omnipotent. I mean, anything God wills, since God is all-powerful, must happen. It would be a logical contradiction if it didn't happen. So this is actually a logical entailment of God's willing of the existence of the universe, and that is not a cause. That's a logical reason. And so if you want to argue from the causes in the world to a first cause, you're arguing that God doesn't exist. You're arguing that there's a first cause instead of God. So what you're saying is that there is a logical contradiction between God being omnipotent and God being a first cause. That's correct. Because if a God is omnipotent, the world is a logical necessity and is not caused. And if you have a first cause, you've now proved that that kind of God doesn't exist. Is that, is that right? If the cosmological argument proves that God doesn't exist, assuming the cosmological argument is sound, that there must be some other cause that's not God. Which means that God doesn't exist. Yeah, I think that would be a fair way to put it. <laughs> How about the cosmological argument for needing a first cause? I would say that the universe, regardless of whether it began with the Big Bang or whether it didn't, 
does not need a first cause because each state of the universe is caused by an earlier state. There's no state of the universe that is uncaused, and so there's nothing for a first state to cause. Then if you say, well, well the universe began to exist, what caused the first state? Well, there is no first state if, if the universe began to exist with the Big Bang. Because on that theory, as you approach the beginning of the universe, you can start dividing like the first hour into fractions, get smaller and smaller fractions. And you can get infinitely small. Right. Infinity seems strange and hard to conceive. And it is. That doesn't mean it's inconsistent. And unlikely to find a god in that either. Well, impossible. Not unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> Quentin has two arguments against the first cause argument for God. One, God cannot be the first cause because if God is all-powerful, God would be a premise forcing a logical deduction, not a person making a free choice. Two, the early universe can be an infinite sequence of shorter and shorter causes without ever needing a first cause. Hmm, I'll have to think about that. I now jump back across the spiritual divide. I go ask Alistair McGrath, scientist, a biophysicist, an atheist, who became a committed Christian. He's now professor of historical theology at Oxford. Well, the cosmological argument in its simplest form would say, look, um, everything that happens seems to have a cause. We trace this back, and in the end, we either say there's an infinite regression of causes, or the buck stops somewhere, and the place where it stops is called God. It could stop with something that is self-existing and self-explanatory. Can, can you live with that? I can live with that. I mean, what I tend to say to myself when thinking about this is, look, one of the great themes in modern science is the quest for a grand unified theory, a theory of everything. Why is that so important? Well, because it's a theory which explains but does not require explanation. And what you see in modern physics is that this, this, this feeling, look, there has to be something behind everything which explains everything we can observe. And in many ways that's analogous to this whole argument for the existence of God. We see many things which have explanations and those explanations point backwards. Is there something that explains but does not itself need to be explained? And in many ways all Krishna is saying is, look, this is completely consistent with the Christian view of God. It doesn't prove it, but it's consistent with it. Arguments from science, from philosophy, do not, indeed cannot, prove that God exists. So the most that can be said about the first cause argument is that it is consistent with the existence of God. Is that helpful? Is that progress? Hello? Hi, Mom. How you doing? How are you? Okay, fine. I'm sitting here. My mother tells me to see a rabbi. Oh. I, I think that the cosmological...
So I see Rabbi David Schatz, professor of philosophy at Yeshiva University's Stern College for Women in New York. There are some people who look at the world and simply say, okay, it's here. It's a brute fact that the world is here. We don't need to pursue anything further. And then you have other people who can look at the world and they say, I can easily imagine the world not being here. The world must be contingent. Therefore, I have to look for something else. Now, what's going to the advantage of those who do look for something further is simply that they're kind of carrying out a principle that's used in science all the time, and that is to look for the best explanation, and to keep going further and further and further in explanations, and to make explanatory advances. Whereas the other side that doesn't push further is simply saying there's no more room to go here. Yes, there is a push in science to understand everything and to understand the reasons for everything, but you reach a point we have just hit a brute fact. So on the one hand, you sort of understand you know, the strength of the cosmological argument. On the other hand, there are various problems with it that are, uh, that are well known. I mean, one of the most important, I think, is the problem that's raised by uh, David Hume, which I like to refer to as the hired cab objection, because uh, Arthur Schopenhauer uh, put it as follows, I'm quoting roughly, the principle that every uh, event has a cause, or that everything has a cause, is not a hired cab which we can dismiss when we get to our destination. Meaning that for those who favor the cosmological argument, you get to the question of God, and you've got to ask, okay, what caused God? Well, the answer comes back, well, God is self-existent, or God is a necessary being. And on this, Hume says, well, maybe the world is a necessary being. Maybe if we understood everything about the most basic truths of the universe, we would see that the universe exists necessarily. And I think the difference between those who advocate the cosmological argument and those who reject it is largely a question of whether they can really imagine the universe being the cause of itself. Now what happens is when you do end up with this self-existent being or necessary being, I think you don't really understand what that means. I'll just say something about Judaism here. Despite the fact that Maimonides and other Jewish philosophers dealt in the cosmological argument, I think that for the most part, Jewish thinkers were more, far more interested in the argument for design, the, being struck by the order in the world. Uh, there are a number of texts in the Talmud and a number of biblical texts even uh, that point in this direction, and that, that, that's really the most intuitive uh, kind of approach. Maimonides' form of the cosmological argument, just like Aquinas's, was not an argument for creation. Neither of them believes that you can prove the world was created. What they were talking about is a kind of series that's taking place at a given moment. And as you mount up to get to the highest cause, you'll eventually reach this first cause. So to Judaism, the first cause argument is not significant. But to me, it is significant. Was there a first cause? Can anything be self-explaining and self-existing? Maybe the problem lies in the nature of causation. To find out, I see Charles Harper. We meet in Iceland at a conference on foundational questions. 
senior vice president of the John Templeton Foundation with an Oxford doctorate on cosmology and time, Chuck pushes boundaries in science and theology. In looking at a question like what's the cause of the universe, it probably is wise to deal with a, a more complexity than we're accustomed to. We can take a lesson from Aristotle a long time ago. Aristotle taught that there are multiple causes to say it. Say, take the example of a table. He would say that there's a material cause. That's often wood. The wood is the cause of the table. You knock on it and that's the material cause. But there's also a cause which would be the, what he called the efficient cause, what, what causes the table to come into existence. That would be a factory, people that made the table at a certain time in a certain place. That's the efficient cause. Then there's the formal cause of the table, what causes the form to be. So at the factory, there's a, there are settings, there are uh, blueprints, there are plans for the creation of the table. And then there's the purpose for the table, that is that we would have conviviality over dinner. So in dealing with a question like the ultimate cause of the universe, we might say, well, what is the hierarchy of causes that we might use to explain the universe? Now, we would make a big mistake with the cause of a table if we have an argument and we said, no, the cause of the table is wood. It's not a factory. No, it's a factory. It's not wood. No, it's to have a conviviality in our home. It may be that when, when one asserts the idea of a divine ultimate cause, against the idea of a, of a physical cause, a material cause, we could be making that mistake, similar to, to having an argument over the cause of a table. And it may be that if there is a God, that God is not the efficient cause, maybe the laws of physics or inflation theory or something else is the efficient cause which, which made it happen. And you don't need a God because it, it, it happens naturally. Well, the question of whether something happens naturally versus then the other idea is something happening supernaturally, I think can be misleading. So the, just to pursue the idea of something happening naturally, for the universe, a na a, a, an explanation of a cause of the universe might be something like a, an inflaton field. So somebody will say there, there's a field, that's like a physical thing, to say there's an inflaton field. But then underneath that, there'll be, a, a, you say, why is there an inflaton field? And then they will say, well, there's, there's, a, there's a theory. There's a, there's a law. Now, the law is not a material entity. So that's more of an ideal entity. It's like a mathematical idea. Now, the theologians sometimes will be tempted to jump in and say, that's the mind of God. That's the cause. But it might be that there is a sort of theory of the construction of theories that the world might have a kind of ur-mathematics that creates many mathematical options that create universes. So I think it's, it's important for the theologian not to jump in in the scientific process of, of expanding knowledge. Theologians are not accustomed to wrestling with the question of why God would exist. In theology, one typically is more accustomed to ultimate mystery. Now the problem in engagement with science is whenever there's a conundrum or a problem to want to jump in and say, oh, ultimate mystery, because that's sterilizing for the scientific quest. So it's a very exciting time right now where scientists and cosmology are really pushing on all sorts of ultimate questions. Causation is not so simple. Different kinds of causes yield different kinds of meanings. Causation is richer. Still, that doesn't solve my problem or relieve my burden of that elusive first cause. For that, I visit Peter Van Inwagen, 
a tough-minded philosopher at Notre Dame. Peter believes that God exists, so why doesn't he use the cosmological argument? I prepare myself for some serious philosophy. We start with the notion of contingent things. Everything that uh, we see came into existence at some time and wouldn't have if things before that had been different. Now consider the question, why are there contingent things at all? What explains the existence of contingent things? Well, maybe nothing explains it. Maybe it's just a brute fact. But suppose we accept the principle of universal explanation, or if you like, the principle of sufficient reason. Everything has some sort of explanation. There's nothing that's just where you say it just is, including that one. Well, what explains the existence of contingent things? A second principle that seems very reasonable is to suppose that you can't explain the existence of a class of things, or you can't explain the fact that there are things of a certain type, except by appealing to things outside that type. You can't explain the existence of elephants without some sort of appeal to non-elephants. Well, take the biggest type that contains contingent beings, namely contingent being itself. If the existence of contingent beings has an explanation, it must be something that falls outside that class. The principle of universal explanation says it does have an explanation. So if you accept both those principles, and then we find there exists a necessary being because a necessary being is just by definition something that isn't a contingent being. And, of course, it must be a necessary being of the kind that can explain things. It can be something like a number or another abstract object like that. It must be a thing that has some sort of power to cause things to exist. So, therefore, we come to the conclusion that there is a necessarily existent thing that has the power to cause contingently existing things to exist. And that necessarily existing thing would be what we would call God? Well, of course, I haven't proved that it's a omnipotent or omniscient or anything like that. Let's just say that people who are hostile to the idea of being a God will not be happy with the existence of an argument that proves that there is a necessary thing that causes contingent things to exist. Probably the best attack for the person who uh, disputes the argument to take, and it's why I find the argument uh, not particularly uh, convincing, is that in, not only can we reject the principle without demonstrable contradiction that everything has an explanation, it even looks as if it has some untoward consequences. What's the explanation of the fact that this one is the actual world? Well, if there was such an explanation, it couldn't be true in any other possible world. It would have to be just true in this one, and then it would explain itself. And it doesn't seem that any, any contingent proposition can explain itself. Well, I feel the weakest part of the argument is this premise, that everything has an explanation. That implies that some contingent fact explains itself. Right. It's obviously false that any contingent fact explains itself. Uh, but if the principle is false, there must be brute contingency at least the contingency of everything. You know, take all contingent truths together, put them together in one big proposition. That at least must be a matter of brute contingency. But if you have one thing that's a matter of brute contingency, why not other things, such as the existence of contingent things? So if you were making an argument for the existence of, if not a, 
God in its richly developed form, but the the existence of a uh, of a self-existing uh, necessary thing. Would you be using the cosmological argument as one of your arguments? No, I don't think that there are any good arguments for that conclusion. It rests on this principle that everything has an explanation, and that seems to have untoward uh, consequences. Here's the first cause argument for God. Anything contingent needs a cause, so that at the very beginning of the universe, there must have been something non-contingent, something necessary, to trigger the long chain of universal events. Here's another form of the argument. Anything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. So the universe must have a cause. And since scientific causes require prior laws, the ultimate cause must be something different, something personal. Objections abound. Challenge causation and infinite regress of causes reject the principle that everything has an explanation. I like Bertrand Russell's brute fact dismissal. The universe is just there, and that's all. The cosmological argument does not claim to prove anything about a first cause or about God, only that a first cause must exist. For now, this is the closest you'll get to truth. To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and God, visit our website, closertotruth.com.